Welcome to the Table Podcast. We hope what you hear today inspires joy in your heart and causes you to be convinced that God is good and He is for you. Enjoy the message. Because H is cool, I affectionately titled this message, Love Jesus, Love People. And in my notes, I have an arrow going back and forth seamlessly between both of those. And um, it's because when you love Jesus, you love people. When you love people, you love Jesus. And um, when we finished the series, we discovered that the center of a healthy and thriving relationship is our own relationship with Jesus, that it's not just a core belief. I think it was a part of our design. In the beginning, God created Adam, and Adam enjoyed the presence of God before another human being was formed. He was complete and fully satisfied in God's presence. He had identity and walked with authority. We were made for relationship first with God and then with humanity. See, being made in his image meant that God desired relationship too, that it's something that we share and he fulfills. Let me make that clear. We share and he fulfills. This series has challenged me to explore the ways that our intimacy with God can grow because if love is the center of our lives, how exactly do we love God? See, I can't begin to say I understand it fully, but I feel it's worth unpacking. I think about my words, my affection, and even worship, and it seems like there's not a consistent expression. It's not always tied to an emotion. So is there more than just being really happy about Jesus and being really thankful for our life that means we love him? Because don't misunderstand me. These are all great ways to love Jesus. I'm just convinced they may not be limited to these things. See, many of the expressions of love we saw in Christ's life were actions motivated by love. Remember, at the beginning of this series, we looked at what Jesus considered to be the greatest commandment. And and before I even unpack that, I have to say this. I've never been in a relationship with somebody that was solid that I never did anything with. (laughs) There has to be some sort of participation, some sort of partnership if intimacy is going to grow. Meaning, if all I have is conversation and pleasant words exchanged every now and then, and I physically don't do something with that person, the level of intimacy is challenged. Can you agree with that? Have you ever been really close to someone that you never did anything with? Never went anywhere, did any type of activity, did anything of substance? So... What I'm saying is maybe the reason why it's been so hard to connect to God with love because we haven't been doing anything with him. Oh, Jesus, I'm glad y'all heard that. So <laughs> we tell him how good he is. We talk about him. We, we debate about him. But we don't do anything with him. With him meaning an active partnership and participation. If we examine the life of Christ... He spent a lot of time loving on people. So what I'm proposing to you today is that maybe the way that we grow in love with God is to start loving with him. Maybe the way that intimacy is formed is when we start participating with him and doing things that he would do. Maybe today you've been wondering why your relationship has been waxing cold, but you can answer it now and say, because I haven't been doing anything with Jesus. See, I'm not just talking about getting in the presence and making it all about you. I'm not talking about receiving a word every week. 
I'm not talking about anything that directly benefits you that happens only with you. I'm talking about the things that push you to your limits, the things that challenge you at your core, the people that hurt you, the people that damage you. You see, they're included in God's plan of loving. They're included in your participation of loving them back. And when we realize that when we actively partner with Jesus to love people, not only do we relate to him more, but we get closer to his heart. We're going to unpack that tonight. I know that's a lot. Because like I said, I'm sharing this as I'm discovering it myself. But Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. I found a passage in scripture that relates to the question that we really have. You know, what we're going to unpack is that there's a person that says, well, who am I supposed to love? He challenges Jesus with something, but he doesn't know what he's getting. So let's read it. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, which we talked about in the relationship series. Jesus is pretty much saying this is the same as there's no distinction. There's no priority. They're synonymous. They should be happening at the same time. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. I began to reason that if loving God was the same as or like loving people, that when I love people, I'm loving God. But it's not as easy as it seems. You see, I can't just love the people who love me. I can't just love the people who get my theology. I can't just love the people who say the things that I like to hear. I can't just love the people who go along with what I say. See, I don't see a clause in the passage that says we get to choose how to define who people is in this passage. People is all of humanity. People includes ones who hurt me, ones who offended me, ones who abused me. You see, we would like to believe that there's an exclusive love, but God doesn't believe in that. So if we want to love him We have to love who he loves. And we can't skirt around it. Even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it's painful. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it hurts. I'm finding more that when loving those people is when I understand God's love for me. I begin to understand his heart more when people make it hard for me to love them. I begin to understand his heart more when I press in to love people that that don't give me anything back. People that I expected I could trust, but they turned their back on me, just like Jesus was betrayed. See, we never get closer to the heart of God if we only love the people that make us feel good. We never get closer to understanding his compassion until we love people that we don't have any compassion for without his spirit. And the lawyer that is questioning Jesus in this passage is much like us. And I'm going to go into that in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to unpack this in ways that we probably never have before. 
And I just want to challenge you to remember that this is freeing. When we come to a hard place where we realize God is calling us to something that seems impossible, not only is his provision there, his power is there, his grace is there, but he's already been there. So he's not going to ask you to go to a place he hasn't gone. He's going to ask you to come with him because he's still doing that. He's still loving hard people. He's still loving difficult people. He's still loving people who reject him openly. He's still doing that. So if we ever want to know his heart, we must do the same. Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And a lawyer stood up and put him, meaning Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. I like this phrase, do this and you will live. See, we know that the lawyer is asking really what he can get away with. He's really testing Jesus to say, I know I've done all my part. I know I've loved the people that I'm comfortable with. I know I've loved the people that love me back. I just want to hear what you have to say about this. I want to test you. I want to see what you'll say. And he's literally challenging what the substance of life is all about, eternal life at that. And so Jesus initially gives him what he wants to hear. Well, I know you know the law, so I'll give the law back to you. Because right now the law is comfortable to you because you don't realize that you haven't met it. See, he was okay with sharing that aspect because right now the law is comfortable to you because you think you've got your ducks in a row. But when I expose what really fulfilled all the law and the prophets and you realize that you've fallen desperately short, you really understand that that wasn't the question you were asking. You were asking, can I be acceptable without doing your will? (laughs) Can I get away with doing my own thing and still get in? Can I love people the way I want to love them and then get everything that you have for me? Hmm. He says, he wanted to justify himself. And I was like, oh, here we go. Isn't it like the religious to say, let me make sure I'm right. Let me make sure what I believe is the truth. Let me make sure that the way I'm framing my life and the way that I frame my mindset about who I am and what I'm doing is correct. But what he's about to do is be exposed because he asked, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Immediately, I can see that this lawyer (laughs) loves like most of us. We need a more narrow definition of love so we can see who we should love and who we shouldn't. Because we already have people in our heads that are undeserving. This is the reason why the lawyer asked the question. I already know who I'm interested in loving. I'm just trying to make sure you agree with me. I already have this narrow scope in my head of who's deserving of this love. So I just want you to tell me I'm right by who my neighbor is. That's what he was asking. He wasn't, he wasn't asking to really, really know the answer to that question. And Jesus anticipated that. See, I think he was asking these questions because he thought he was right in the way that he believed. Uh-oh. He believed that there are literally people that are undeserving of love based on how he's been treated, based on his status, based on who he is in society, 
And that's just how it is. And he's asking Jesus to justify his narrowing of love. He's like, agree with me that I don't have to love really everyone. Mm. But Jesus never directly speaks to the question. He's going to ask a greater question. The greater question was who not to love. There's no one that you shouldn't love. And in this moment, I love that Jesus puts us back in a place where we understand that his scope was never narrow, so neither can ours be. If he loved all of humanity, we love all of humanity. There are no exceptions. There are no clauses. In verse 30, Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. I think it's very interesting who he starts with in the story. The first person that gets a chance to respond to a broken man is a priest. And what was his response? He passed by. You see, many people pass over the broken because they're too badly wounded. And no one has time to invest in someone who's in really bad shape. He knew he couldn't throw a couple of dollars at him. He knew he couldn't say, I'll pray for you, buddy. He knew he couldn't say, oh, I'm sorry about that, and that would be enough because he was too badly wounded to invest in. So the lawyer would assume that the priest had the highest position, but he lacked love because when it was time to act on what he should do for the broken, he was passive. When someone who was obviously broken came in his pathway, he found out he really didn't want to love. Because love means investment. Love means sacrifice. And you know what? I can imagine that he was probably on his way to an important service. I can imagine he was probably on his way to do something that people will revere him in. I imagine that he didn't have time to stop because he was supposed to be going to the temple. How many times have we done this? We're on our way to praising God, so I can't help the broken man. I'm on my way to doing something really important that people are going to cheer me on for, so if, if I stop here, then I won't get my affirmation. If I stop here, I've invested too much time. The first person, the one that people esteem the most, is the one who did not show love. Likewise, in verse 32, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So he's basically establishing this hierarchy of like, the priest is the top dog. As far as the religious go, he should be up at the top. Then the Levites are, are assistant to the priest. So here's the next level. So he's like, okay, the priest fell. All right. Let's go to the next level. Let's go to the worshipers. Let's go to the one that assists the priest. Let, let's go there. See how they respond. They pass by the broken also. Well, my leadership didn't invest in them, so I guess I don't have to either. The one that went ahead of me didn't do it, so I guess since I'm assisting, I don't have to do. Yeah. Because, again, as more people are passing by, 
his condition is getting worse. So now it's even more visible that it takes more investment. Because now not only has he been beaten and he's been robbed, his clothes have been stripped of him. He's in complete shame and brokenness. And the longer he's there, the worse he's getting. Somebody listen to what I'm saying. See, the next person that came along can see that he's in worse condition than when he started. It's getting worse. The investment is getting greater. The investment is getting stronger. What it's going to take for this person to be well, it's more now. The stakes are higher. The longer he stays broken, the longer he's clinging to death. And nobody cares because it takes too much time to love real broken people. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, which means he did not leave him alone. He did not leave him in that condition. Because a lot of people would have been like, well, he did enough to at least, you know, take care of the wounds. No, he still needed somebody to go with him. He couldn't get well by himself. Jesus, I'm preaching, y'all. I know it's quiet because this is convicting everybody, but I need you to hear what I'm saying. He couldn't just stop at, at the wounds. Now he has to carry him with him. Mm. We'll get there. He says he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now it's very important to understand the cultural climate of the day and who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to elite people, people who have high status, people who have power, who have wealth, and also people who have a very intense prejudice against Samaritans. Jesus is speaking to people who don't even believe that Samaritans are humans. They consider them dogs. So let's understand the severity of what he's saying. He's telling the man that the only person that has showed compassion is the person that you hate. The only one that's shown compassion in this this story is the person that you don't even see as a human being. Can you imagine how offensive it is that Jesus is telling him the person that you hate is better taking care of your own kind than you are? Oh, yeah, I said it. There is literally a racial divide in this culture when Jesus is speaking. And he's making the guy you think scum the hero. Oh, we don't like that. We don't like the ones we hate becoming the hero in a story. (laughs) Oh, my, my, my. Hmm. See, the Samaritan knew that he was an outcast to the Jews, scum of society, and he showed more love than the priest and the Levite. You know what I think? I think that the Samaritan could identify with that man's brokenness more than anybody because he knew what it was like not to feel human. And in the moment that this man is broken, he doesn't feel it human. 
He feels like cattle, like somebody is just moving him along, like he doesn't matter. Maybe the reason why the Samaritan felt compassion is because he saw himself in the man. Maybe the reason why the Samaritan felt compassion is because he knows what it's like to be thrown away and for no one to care, to be broken and not have healing, to know that people have seen his condition, but they're not interested in investing. Maybe that was the motivation. See, Jesus gives us no exceptions to loving others. He is clear. Even though the ones we feel have the, we have the right to hate, we should show the most extravagant love to. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Now Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. He couldn't even dignify to repeat that he was a Samaritan. This is how much hate is in this man's heart. Even when he sees that Jesus is hitting at the core of his issues, he still can't say Samaritan. He only merely describes the man who showed mercy. How deeply rooted was his hatred for another human being that he couldn't even acknowledge in a story that he showed the most mercy? And before we start judging the lawyer, before we think, oh, man, He's a terrible person. <laughs> Let me make it more real to you. For me, that person would be the person who murdered my cousin. For me, that would be the person who abused me. For you, it can be anybody who did an offense that you can justify as wrong, but you can't justify not loving. For me, it has to be any human being who's ever been broken, and that counts as all of us. See, what I'm understanding is the reason why we haven't been able to encounter the love of Christ is because we haven't been letting ourselves love other people like Christ. The facet of love that it takes to love the person who abused you has to come from the Spirit of God. The ability to push through your own pain and your own brokenness to love somebody who harmed you has to come from Jesus. It is not possible for you to show compassion for someone that you hate without Jesus. I start to wonder a little bit more about this passage. When he says he gave him two denarii, now we're getting to resources. Not only did this man stop in the middle of his trip, but he also gave two days' worth of wages to a stranger he never knew. Then took on this man's debt. Whatever debt this man incurred in his healing process, he is still willing to pay for it. How many of us love like that? How many of us not only stay in the process, Stick with the person while their wounds are healing. Take some of our resources and pour into them and then incur their debt 
So then it made me wonder, who really is the Good Samaritan? It's Jesus. The only one I've ever known that would look at my brokenness, not pass me by, but poured oil and wine on my wounds, carried me when I could not carry myself, took me to a place of care and said, whatever it costs, I'll pay for it. That was Jesus Christ. See, I never knew that the good Samaritan was Jesus until I realized that I was the man on the ground. That the enemy beat me up, busted me up, broke me up. And when nobody else came to get me, Jesus came. When no one else would heal my wounds. When no one else took the time to invest in me because I was in bad shape. Jesus stopped. Came and got me. And carried me. And healed me. And said, whatever debt she incurred, I will pay for it. He did the same for all of us. Every debt that we owed when we got robbed, when we got stripped of our dignity, when all we were left with was shame and brokenness beyond our own repair. Let me say that. He was broken beyond repair. I was broken beyond repair. The average man couldn't have stopped to fix me. The Levite couldn't have stopped to fix me. Only Jesus. And yes, Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's the one. You see, it's funny that a lawyer is asking who I'm supposed to love, and Jesus ends up telling him a story about how he loves him. See, Jesus knew that the lawyer was that man, he was robbed. He was stripped. He was wounded. And he knew in his distress that he would take on his debt at the cross. Jesus knew that. It may have been over his head, but I believe, because it doesn't really say his response, something got into his heart because he realized he could not be justified in his hate when he was presented with unconditional love. Neither can we. See, Jesus challenged the prideful and the self-righteous by calling them to love those they felt didn't deserve it. Sadly, this is the mind of many people who claim to know God because they forgot that they were the man that was wounded on the side of the road. See, the gospel is offensive to the religious because it takes out the work and gives good with no merit. While that truly it is a gift for all of us. Somehow they feel like they have special privileges based on their knowledge and their works, but the kingdom doesn't operate that way because Jesus sees everybody as the man on the side of the road. All men were given this gift of love because of the goodness of God. Every single person that has encountered Christ was in that place, and he gave everything. Everything that he had. (laughs) So now I realized that I can't walk past the man on the road anymore. Because when I look at him, I see me. And when I see myself, I see Jesus. I see what he did for me. See how he loved me in the, in the worst, most broken, desperate place of my life. 
and I can't even look past the failure of that person to see anything else than they need help. You know, I, I can't say, well, they deserve to be here. No, the enemy robs everybody. He beats up everybody. He lies to everybody. He strips everybody and leaves them in shame. No matter what hurt they've caused, they're a product of that. The difficulty that it takes to love a broken person, there's a reward of knowing more of Christ's heart in it. Let me say it again. The difficulty of loving a broken person produces the reward of knowing Christ in it. There's so many ways that we can encounter God's love if we would start loving the people that he loves. We would realize that there's a lot more love to receive when we pour out what we give. I talked about this earlier. We have this scarcity mentality when it comes to love. We have this scarcity mentality where we feel like, well, if I give mine away, I'm not getting any more. Well, when you're connected to Christ, that's not possible. So instead of us trying to guard and protect what we think little we have, if we realize our own abundance, if we realize who we're connected to, if we realize how much we were being loved, then we could give love away. And even if it hurt us in the process, we still get more love. What if we gave our love away? We can never empty it. Because we have a supply that never runs out. We have to push past our fear of rejection and fear of being understood and fear of people liking us. We have to be willing to say the things that we know are in our truest convictions and, and realize that somebody may hurt you in response. But for love's sake, keep pouring it out. I guarantee you, if you practice loving hard people, you will see God's heart more. If you practice loving the people that it takes the spirit of God for you to have compassion for, you will definitely get closer to Jesus. If you start investing in people that don't just need a quick fix, who one little prayer and everything's good, <laughs> you'll get closer to Jesus. I'm starting to understand what Paul means when he says that when we can join in his sufferings, then that's a joyful experience because we realize that Jesus loved fearlessly and he was rejected a lot. We realize that we can understand that this, the persecution that we're thinking of is sometimes when people just don't agree with your heart. When people misjudge your motives and they don't see that you really mean to care for them, you really just want them to get the gospel and they spit in your face, they mock you. That is a form of persecution that I will gladly take as long as I'm still looking like Jesus in the process. To challenge people's mindsets of what they really believe about the heart of God for them. If I lose friends, if I lose anybody, I'm still gaining because I'm getting nearer to the heart of God. What if us being uncomfortable is really the way that we find out how much love is in us? We haven't really been able to challenge that because we stay in the confines of comfort. We stay in the confines of what feels safe, what feels right, instead of just loving fearlessly. Look, I'm preaching to myself. This is not something that I've arrived at. 
this is something that I'm willing to be open hearted to and allow God to move in. So I'm just challenging you with that. This is a hard word. This means that you have to walk out this door and immediately ask God who you need to be loving. This means you don't even need to wait till the next service or Sunday to figure out you've got something to do with God. This means you'll never be satisfied with just sitting here and getting a word. Because you'll know there's more love. There's more love out there when you start loving on broken people in your family. The ones that you just wait for somebody else to reach out to. <laughs> Where you're like, you know what, that's not my, that's not my uh, ministry. I'm going to let someone else evangelize to my family. And I'm going to go talk to that homeless person in the corner. See, you're cheating because you already know they're hopeless, but you know your brother or your sister just getting on your nerves. <laughs> Hello. I'm preaching to myself, but I'm telling the truth. Oh, yeah, we love to get that person that's standing with the sign, with the Sharpie. Where did they get that from? I don't know. But <laughs> I always wonder that, but I never ask. Praise God. I'd be like, mm, it's easy to go for those people. It's hard to go for the ones that you grew up with, that tormented you, that said evil things against you, that don't agree with your theology. Those are the hard people. <laughs> Let's just keep it real. We were like, oh, well, and I ain't even trying to hate on people that go on the mission trips and all that stuff. Because I've been and I love it. And there are broken people there too. But some people try to escape to go to another nation because they don't want to deal with the people in their backyard. They don't want to love on the people that they work with. You wait for somebody to evangelize to your coworkers too. But why did God put you at that job? What would happen if you started loving somebody that knew you shouldn't love them? I bet you they'll see Jesus. What happened if you started being intentional with people that thought you would never give them a time of day? I bet you they might just see Jesus. <sighs> I ain't going to get on y'all. I'm getting on me. But <laughs> what if all this time there haven't been more people in our churches because they haven't seen Jesus at your job, in your school? So they don't want to come to church. They want to know who Jesus is. They want to see Jesus in you. Don't drag them to church and they haven't seen Jesus yet. That's like inviting somebody to a party and they don't even know him. More people will come to church if they knew who was inviting them. Because Jesus is going to be there. Because you're going to be there. That's the problem. Oh, Jesus. I'm gonna, mm. Oh, glory. I'm just going to go here. <sighs> you know, God knew that we would most intimately relate to him when we love the people that don't look like us so that we can look most like him. People that make us uncomfortable. <laughs> mm. You see, I'm convinced that the gospel has been something to see, not just something to hear. Meaning, if Jesus is the full representation of the gospel, 
Why are people not seeing Jesus when the people who have his spirit inside of them are alive right now? Where's the disconnect? Because when we are in intimate fellowship with Jesus, when we are reflecting him, the way that we live always speaks a louder word than our message, than our speech, than our well-prepared thoughts. Jesus wanted people to see him in you. Have you ever heard that phrase that people say that you might be the only Bible that people read? That's cute. I'll go a step further. You might be the only Jesus somebody has ever seen. That's heavy. That's heavy. You see, John 13, 35 says that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So people can genuinely tell when you have a relationship with Jesus, when you love like him, that's what makes you look like him. Loving like him makes you look like him more than talking about him. Yes, Lord. Amen. Loving like him makes you look a lot more like him than talking about him. Oh, God, we owe Jesus. Help us, Lord. This is so heavy. We will not be known for our knowledge, church affiliation, or any other defining quality other than love. If people want to know Jesus, they have to see it in our love. If people want to know who he is, we embody that. He has given us his spirit. He has given us the assurance that we are in him, which means we have permission to show people what he looks like. But some of us don't want to give that permission. (laughs) Some of us have not understood that love is not just a feeling, but it's a force. And it moves the heart of man. And reveals the glory of God. Glory meaning his beauty, his perfection, and his great love for us. Love is the motivation of the cross and man's redemption. In Matthew 25, I'm not going to go into it in depth. But it talks about Jesus comparing people who loved the poor. Who visited the people who were sick and in prison. And he says that when you are doing these things, you are doing it as unto me. Meaning that the response of our love back to God is when we partner with him to love the difficult people, the people who are really broken, the people who take time to invest in. In other words, people have really embodied you know, the heart of God and giving it out to others. And God designed you to do that. But when you love the hard people, they will reject you. They'll hurt you. They'll mock you. But they will never be able to say that they didn't see the love of Jesus. Jesus. 
What if the best way for people to hear the gospel is for them to see it in us first? And those who have his spirit, do we have such an assurance that people can know Jesus by doing life with us? Do our lives reflect the Father's heart like Jesus did? See, the gospel is a person, not just a message. So what better way for people to see Jesus than to see the sons and daughters of God? What better way to encounter him than through the people who carry his presence? You see, this active participation of love comes with God's spirit. It comes with his presence being on you. This is not something where you're striving and you're trying to do this. This is about agreement with who God says that you are and allowing his grace to empower you to do things that you never thought were possible. And they will be known. It says they will be known by how they love one another. So if there's nothing else that you ever do in your lifetime, then love people like Jesus, then you have lived. If there's nothing else you ever do, then partner with Jesus to love hurting people, then you have lived. No matter what society says about your job, your status, all those other things, that fades away. But Jesus, Jesus is everything. I challenge you to remember, as we're standing all over the room, we were all the men on the side of the road, that Jesus was first our good Samaritan. And the way that we grow more and more in love with him is to love people like him, to love people with him. Not the easy people, not the ones who agree with everything that we say, the ones who oppose us, the ones who reject us, Jesus, the ones who don't quite understand the full measure of their brokenness, but we see their brokenness because we see ourselves in them and we love them just like we were the ones on the side of the road and needed the love of Christ. That is loving Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Here at the table, we are discovering Jesus together. If you were encouraged by today's message, do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. That way you never miss out on future episodes. Also, help us get the word out by sharing this podcast on your preferred social media platform. To keep up on what's happening in our community, you can follow us on Facebook at The Table or on Instagram at The Table CCLA.